I invite you, if you would, to open your Bibles to the book of Haggai. And if you wonder where Haggai is, if you go to where your Bible separates the Old Testament to the New Testament, and go back to the Old Testament, just a few pages, and you'll run right across Haggai. It's right toward the end of our uh, Old Testament. Right before the book of Zechariah, Haggai chapter 1. It's good to see everybody here today and everybody's smiling faces. I just pray you'll enjoy digging into God's Word uh, with me as we, we break down chapter 1 of the book of Haggai. But before we look at our text, I want to remind you of something. Every day... You exchange a day of your life for something. At the start of our life, and I'm, I'm going to use a little parable this morning. At the start of our life, we were all we are all issued a number of coins. We don't know how many coins that we have, and all of these coins are hidden inside a big machine. So we don't know how many there are, and, and we don't know how many are left. And at the start of each day, we go to the machine, and... The machine gives us a new coin, and it might be the last coin we get, or it may be one of many more. In, in reality, we don't know how many coins we're going to be able to get. In America, the average person gets between 8, 70, and 80 years worth of coins. We live to be about that old, but the trouble is, we don't know. There's folks here that are older than that, amen? There's also folks that are going to pass away before we reach that age. So we don't know how long we will have to go to this machine and get our coin. But every day when we get our coin, we trade it for something. We trade it for our day, a days at work or a day at leisure, a day at school, a day shopping, a day doing yard work, a day at church, a day fishing. A day paying the bills. You get to choose how you spend your coin. But let me tell you what. Choose wisely because you can't get your coin back. You can't get your day back. Once it's spent, it's gone forever. Would you agree with me that living wisely is really a matter of spending your coins on the things that matter in light of eternity and not just wasting them? Living, is wise, living wisely is difficult because a lot of times the choices in our life is, are not between good and bad, but between good and better, between better and best. And so how do we spend our life? How do we spend our coin? So with that being said, we're going to jump into the book of Haggai. And before we do, we probably need a little bit of information as to who was Haggai and when did he write, because especially in the Old Testament, we tend not to be as familiar with, with Old Testament uh, writing as we are New Testament, especially when we start looking at uh, the prophets. But Haggai is the second shortest book in the Old Testament. Obadiah is the shortest book of the Old Testament. Haggai is the second shortest. But Haggai packs a mighty wallet. It's written to a group of people like us, who would have told you to put God first. They believed that. We believe that. If I were to ask you, I'm going to ask you, how many of y'all here today think we ought to put God first? 
See, everybody raises their hand, right? We all believe that. That's the way, that's the audience that to whom God sent Haggai to prophesy. But these people had drifted into a lifestyle that where their intellectual belief in God first could not be seen in their ever, everyday life. They gave lip service to the priority of God, but in fact, they lived out other priorities. God sends the prophet Haggai to this group of people to help these folks put their priorities back where they needed to be in order to put God first. In 536 B.C., a remnant of about 50,000 Jews had returned from Babylon back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. Remember, uh, the city had been ransacked by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. Uh, most of the uh, intelligent, productive Jews had been taken from, uh, from Palestine and taken to Babylon. Well, several of them now, now that the, the Babylonian Empire has been wiped out, the Persians are in control. King Cyrus is in uh, charge of the Persians. Cyrus and Darius, uh, they were more benevolent than the Babylonians. The Babylonians had the idea of uh, taking their captives and bringing them to Babylon to make them good little Babylonians. The Persians believed that people ought to be work at their homeland, and basically they would pay taxes and they would pay tribute to the uh, Persians. So about 50,000 of the Jews went back to Jerusalem to start rebuilding the temple, to start rebuilding uh, Jerusalem. And they got a start on it, but then they, then they quit. Uh, two years after returning, they laid the foundation to rebuild the temple. But after several encounters with the neighbors, and some of the neighbor people, while the, Babylon, while the Jews were gone out of Babylon, other people came in and started living in Jerusalem. And so they didn't much like the idea of the Jews coming back and rebuilding their temple. So a bunch of tattletales, basically, went to the uh, Persian king and sent him a letter and said, hey, these guys are building a temple. They're getting ready to rebel against the Persian Empire. That wasn't what they were going to do, but that's the message that was sent. And so the king put a stop to it. Well, when the next king came along, 14 years later, they allowed this work to begin again. And 14 years have gone by. So imagine what happens in 14 years. The people had gotten caught up in the routine of living. They've gotten caught up in their farming. They've gotten caught up in building houses. They got uh, used to raising families and so on. They got used to life without a temple. Would you say we humans adapt pretty well when things change? And if you don't think we do, think about the changes that have happened in our world and our society, say since the late 80s. I had an inmate uh, that got out last week. He had been incarcerated since 1989. And, and imagine, it's, it's hard for us to remember 1989, but do y'all remember when you had to go change the channel on the TV yourself? I'm not sure if that's 1989, but it's probably, we might have had remotes, but it, we certainly didn't have all the different satellite channels. We didn't have computers. Uh, we didn't have push-button start cars. He saw the fob on my on my keychain that I had. He said, what's that? And I said, that's my car key. He said, well, he said, well where's the key? I said, there's not a key. He said, you, I said, you hit the brake, you push the button, and the car started. He said, I'm never going to make it. <laughs> but 
do we realize how much we learn and how much old people like me and you have we learned to use a computer a little bit that we're not as, I'm not as good as my kid and if I need something with the computer I'm going to ask my daughter she's better at it than I am but haven't we adapted and even my mom bless her heart she's got a smartphone and she's actually she's learned how to text sort of now she gets confused when she tries to figure out how to read her texts but she's learned how to send a text and one of these days we're going to break her into Facebook we're afraid to try that but she's kind of liking her, her smartphone we adapt well think 14 years have gone by these people have gotten used to living life without a temple Imagine if all of a sudden we had to live life without our cell phones. What if we just took that one thing away? It'd take a lot of adjusting, wouldn't it? To get used to living life without that. And so they, they, they didn't have a temple. They got used to not having the temple. And so even their leaders, Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest, that's a different Joshua and Haggai than the Joshua way back, that came into the land of Canaan. It's another Joshua. Even they had gotten used to life as it was instead of life as it should be. So into this scene, God sends Haggai. And a couple of months later, he sends the prophet Zechariah to proclaim the message to his return remnant. Haggai's message in plain English is this. Give God first place in your life. Put God first. Jesus said something very similar to this when he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God gives Haggai four precisely dated messages. We know when these messages were given. Chapter 1, it says in, in verse 1 of chapter 1, In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month. In the Jewish calendar, that would have been August the 29th, 520 B.C. The Persians kept very good records as to when their kings ruled and, and what they did. So that second month would have been August the, the 29th, 520 B.C. Verses 1 through 9 of chapter 2, if you'll jump there. Verse 1, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Uh, that, that would have been October the 17th, 520 B.C. And then finally, there are two messages at the end of chapter 2. Verses 10 through 19 is one message. And then chapter 15, or chapter, verses 20 through 23 is the second message. Both of those were given the same day, two different times on that day. December the 18th, 520 B.C. So we have a pretty good idea as to when Haggai did his writing. A lot of the prophets would kind of have to guess that. And it might be a day or two off depending on, on uh, the different calendars and the different things. But that's very, very close to when these books were written. And you might not care about that, but that does make a little more, brings it a little more to our world when we say in the second year of King Darius in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, when we say August 29th, 520, we kind of understand a little better when this was given. But let's read chapter 1 of Haggai this morning together. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, 
on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shelpiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much, and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called a drought, for I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, and Joshua the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the twenty-fourth day of the sixth month, in the second year of King Darius. When we look at this first chapter of Haggai, we're going to look at Haggai in three messages. This chapter is chapter, uh, lesson one. Next week we'll look at, uh, we'll, we'll, next two weeks we'll break chapter two down into the two different messages that God gave Haggai. But when we look at chapter 1, we could say verse through 4, tell us about misplaced priorities. That's what Haggai talks about here. He says at the beginning in verse 2, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell and your paneled houses, and this temple to lie in ruins. You know what? Aren't we all sometimes prone to put our stuff ahead of God's stuff? Aren't we all sometimes prone to put our jobs and our families and, and everything, the things that we think of as important, above God's things? Now these people that Haggai was talking to, these people that God was talking to, they were believers, amen? They were God-fearing. If you were to ask them, if Haggai was to have asked the question, how many of y'all think we ought to put God first? They would have all raised their hands. 
But God had to show them that their lifestyle, the way they were living their lives, the things they were prioritizing as most important, it was their stuff instead of God's stuff. And those who put their prosperity above God's house often has excuses. God says in verse 4, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panel houses and this temple to lie in ruins? What basically God is telling them, they are saying, well, it's just not time to rebuild the temple. These guys walked by every day. They saw the temples sitting there, right? The ruins where they started building it back. They walked right by it. Anybody could have said, you know what? One of these days we ought to build that temple. And you know what they probably said? If someone would have said that, one of these days we'll rebuild the temple. The answer would have been, well, it's just not time right now. We'll do that one of these days. We have fields to plow. We have houses to build. We have lives to go to. We have school to go to. We have this going on. We have that going on. When it comes time to prioritize, if our priorities are out of whack, we start making excuses, don't we? Ask the question. Why aren't you active down at church? Somebody says, well, one of these days I'm going to be. I'm busy at work right now, or my kids are, when my kids get older, I'll be working down there. I'll come down to church and I'll be busy. Or when I, I, I get established in my job, I've just started my career, and I, I've just gotten out of college, and I've just get going, but, but let me get started first, and, and then I'll start getting active down at church. Why aren't we witnessing like we should? Well, now, one of these days I'm going to witness. You know, I, I, don't, I don't really feel like it today. It, it's hot outside, and, and, and besides that, you see my grass is getting kind of high. And if I don't cut the grass, the snakes are liable to come in it. And if the snakes get there, you know, we can't have snakes. So I have to get my grass cut so the snakes won't come by. But now, one of these days, I'm going to witness one of these days I'm going to talk to my neighbor about Jesus, but you know what? Uh, they've been kind of sick, and, and they probably don't feel like hearing about Jesus right now. Or, or the kids are over there, so they have company. You see, any of those people could have said, we need to rebuild this temple. But they were all busy living life. They were all busy exchanging their daily coins for whatever it is that was going on in their lives. And let me tell you this. Cutting the grass is important. Going to school is important. Building a career is important. Raising your family is important. But if we were honest, here's a question. Is any of it more important than putting God first? Our job's important, but shouldn't we put God at the top of our job? Or should we worship God while we are doing our job? Raising our family is important, but what could be more important in raising our family than teaching them God's ways? It's important that we make sure our house doesn't collapse. Sometimes we've got to clean the gutter. Sometimes we have to fix the roof. But where are our priorities? misplaced priorities. And in order to examine our priorities, look at what 
God says in verse 5 and again in verse 7. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And he says the same thing in verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. In order to examine our priorities, we must consider our ways. This word ways means our, our lifestyle, our habits, the ways that we are living our lives. If we're going to have our priorities match our intellectual beliefs, we have to do some soul searching, and we have to do it quite often. God says, you've got your priorities out of whack. Consider your ways. Examine the things that you're doing. Two questions this morning. Where do you spend your time? What do you spend your time doing? And number two, where do you spend your money? I've said it before and I say it to me as much as I say it to you. Our calendars and our checkbook will tell us where our priorities lie about as well as anything we can look at. Where do we spend our time? What does your calendar show? I used to say go to your day timer. Most of us don't use day timers. Go to your calendar. Get on your phone. Look, where are you spending your time? What are you doing in your, not only your, your work time, but your leisure time? How do you spend it? Where do you spend your money? Those things will tell us where our priorities are. Misplaced priorities. Let's consider our ways. For what are the results of misplaced priorities? Look at verse 6. Here's one result. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat but do not have enough. You drink but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to be put into a bag with holes. One of the results of misplaced priorities is the fact that we are never satisfied and we keep wanting more. If our priority is climbing the ladder at work, we're never going to be satisfied until we get all the way to the top. And then when we get there, we're still not going to be satisfied because we'll find out it's not what we thought it was cracked up to be. Uh, one of the ladies that works over at Backyard Burger, I went through the drive-thru yesterday to uh, get a, a drink from them. I, I wanted a drink, so I went through, and, and she, she used to work for me at Jack of the Box years and years ago. And uh, so I said, are you the general manager of this place yet? And she said, no, not yet. I said, well, you ought to be. And she said, I don't want to be. She said, I saw what general managing did to you and a lot of my other general managers. She says, I don't want that job. She said, I'm pretty happy being a shift manager. Climbing the corporate ladder is not what it's cracked up to be. You're always going to want more, or when you get there, you're going to be afraid somebody's going to take it away from you. If your priority is making money, I used to think when I started working, I started working as an assistant manager at Captain D's. I started making $300 a week. That was in 1988. So that was a minute ago. It was okay money for back then. But you know what? I, when I first made $300 a week, I thought, this is pretty good money. I've got it set. But after a couple of months of making $300 a week, you know what I thought? I thought, I'll have it made when I get to $400 a week. And it wasn't too long. I got to $400 a week. And I said, I... I'll have it made when I get to $500 a week or $600 a week. What you find out is if your goal is to make money, it'll never be enough. 
you'll never have enough because what most of us tend to do is we, we can live on a $300 a week paycheck, but as our paycheck goes up, so does our lifestyle, right? We start buying more. We start having more stuff. We start doing more things. And so we get caught up in the rat race of making money. If our priority is pleasure and having fun, you can never have enough fun. You're always looking for the next thrill. You're always looking for the next uh, adrenaline rush. Look, the, look at the way Haggai words this. You sow much, but you don't bring in much. You eat, but you don't have enough. We're going to eat here in a little while at, the, at, the, at, a, at a buffet, right? And when we all leave, we're going to say, man, I sure got full. Guess what we'll do about 5 o'clock this afternoon? We'll eat some more. We eat, but we don't have enough. We drink, but we're not full. We clothe ourselves, but we're not warm. And I like this last one. He says, and he who earns wages to put into a bag of holes. You go about making money, but when you put your money into the bag as you walk alone, the money's falling out. Because there's holes in the bag and you're, you get home, your, your money's all gone. Your priorities are in the wrong place. He says, consider your ways. So we're not, we're not satisfied. We keep wanting more. Another result of misplaced priorities is found in verses 7 through 11. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. Now watch this. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Not only when our priorities are out of whack, do, are we never satisfied to keep looking for more, but quite often when we have misplaced priorities, we are blind to God's discipline. We're blind to where God's trying to get us back on the right path. He says in verse 8, he says, you look for much, but indeed it came to little. And even when you brought it home, God says, I blew it away. Why, God says? Because you all won't build my temple. You're going to your house, you're looking for your stuff, you're doing your things. You need to get your priorities right. God says, I send a drought. I send famine. I send all these things and you're not seeing that this is my hand trying to get you to wake up. You all have probably heard this. It's an old illustration, but it, it, it works. The weather service was predicting a flood. And a guy came by and yelled at a fellow on his front porch. He said, hey, come get in the car with me. There's a flood coming. The guy said, God will take care of me. Well, it started raining, and a few 
minutes later, the water starts coming up. And a guy comes by in a boat and hollers at the guy, Hey, a flood's coming. The water's coming up. You better get in this boat. The guy says, God will take care of me. Well, the water keeps rising and gets all the way up. The only thing that's left is the peak of a roof. Helicopter comes by. A guy yells out of the helicopter, Hey, a flood's coming. Get in this basket so I can lift you in this helicopter because there's a flood coming. The guy says, God will take care of me. And a guy drowned in the flood. He gets to heaven, faces the Lord on a pearly gate, and he said, God, what happened? Why didn't you take care of me? And God said, well, I sent a car and I sent a boat and I sent a helicopter, but you wouldn't listen. You wouldn't use them. That's what God, God's trying to get our attention. We want to know why the world's in such shape that it's in. Could it be that God's trying to get our attention, that we need to wake up, and that we need to get our priorities straight? I'm not going to preach this sermon because it's a whole other sermon and, and the food will get cold. So, But I'm a firm believer that America has been under God's judgment since at least 9-11 and probably before that. I believe God is trying to get our, our attention saying, y'all, you're putting your stuff ahead of my stuff. You need to get back to getting your priorities right. And if our priorities are wrong, we're not going to see God in action. We're not going to see the things that happen. God sent famines all throughout the Bible to bring discipline on his people. God sent storms. God sent floods. God sent natural disasters on people. Could it be? And I'm not going to get into science and all this kind of thing. But could much of the natural disasters that are happening in our world today be God's hand trying to say, wake up, y'all. Get your priorities right. Misplaced priorities. Results of misplaced priorities. What's the remedy for misplaced priorities? Look at verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent to him, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. Two things here. The remedy for misplaced priority is obedience. First thing is we need to obey. Whatever it is that God is telling you to do, and that may be different. It's different for each one of us. Everybody that's sitting here today, if you're a Christ follower, your next step is going to be different than someone else's next step. We're different. We're living a different path. It's all going to be to proclaim God's glory. And it's all going to be about how to build God's kingdom. But what is it God is calling you to do? I got news for you. Whatever it is God's calling you to do, you might as well go ahead and do it because he's not going to leave you alone until you do. Amen? Amen. Obedience. Wherever the Holy Spirit, that little nagging thing in the back of your mind, when you're doing something and you say, you know, I ought to really be doing this. I'm convinced for Christ followers, that's the Holy Spirit trying to get us to wake up. Trying to get us to reprioritize our thoughts and our actions and our, our doings. First is to obey. For Israel, 
This was done by actually finishing the temple for us. We say we're to put God first, and we know we're, put, we're to put God first. We need to just do it. You know, Nike, I think Nike was the shoe company that says just do it. I think that's their, their, their that's terrific marketing. Because isn't that most of our trouble? I don't know how many day books and calendars I bought to get myself organized. Even a piece of whatever. My problem is not the writing it down. My problem is doing it. I need to lose about 30, 40 pounds. I know what I need to do. I need, I need to eat less and move more. The trouble is doing it. We know we ought to witness. We know we ought to get involved in the music down at church, or, or we know we ought to place membership at a church, or, or we know we ought to be back. We know we ought to do it. The problem is not knowing what we ought to do. The problem is doing it. Can I encourage you this morning? Just do it. Be obedient. And then a second key is found at the end of verse 12 when he says the people feared the presence of the Lord. We live in an age where even believers, I think, sometimes lose touch with the fact that there's still a God in heaven and he's still the God of the universe. Amen? He deserves our awe. He deserves our respect. And even when we pray and we talk about the fact that God is our Abba, he's our daddy, he really is. But he still deserves our fear as the God of the universe. When you read about God in the Old Testament, he's smiting somebody every time you turn around, right? He'd, he'd smite countries. In the book of Acts, he struck down Ananias and Sapphira. Did you know that same God still sitting on his throne? And there are times I hear things come out of people's mouths. Sometimes it's out of the mouths of believers. But I just, I kind of want to step back in case the lightning comes down. And I sometimes wonder why in the world doesn't God smite? And the only thing I can come up with is because of his mercy. God is just as powerful as he always was. God is just as strong as he always was. God is. He's not a was. And we look to God today, even believers sometimes, as that man upstairs, like a gentle grandfather with a sweater that's in a rocking chair and kind of smoking his pipe. Now, God, when he was young, he was that smiting God. He was strong. He, he did all this stuff in the Old Testament. But but now we're, we're several thousand years later, and today God is just that man upstairs. Y'all, God is God. And I'm not. And you're not. And if we want to get our priorities straight, we need to obey. And we need to obey with a respect that God expects us to obey. And that disobedience brings punishment. Disobedience brings discipline. Misplaced priorities. What's the result of proper priorities? Look at verse 13. 
Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke to the Lord's message, or spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. I want y'all to understand. There is no greater thing that God could tell me or to tell you than to say, I am with you. I will say something that's going to sound kind of crazy. I would rather be alone standing with God and whatever God can do and whatever weapons that are at God's disposal. I would rather be alone with God than I would be everybody else in the world and without God. Because I know America's military might is strong. I know China's military might is strong. And when uh, I watch and look at what our military weapons can do, I I look at my little pump shotgun and say, really? You know, and so our, our, our military, it's scary what the world's military might is. You know what? It's powerless against the God in heaven. I don't know about you, but the fact that God says, I am with you, I want to hear that. I would a whole lot rather hear God say, I'm with you, than I'm against you. Because y'all, I've read the Bible. I know how it turns out for those that God is against. Amen? Amen. You don't read the book of Revelation. And I know there's a lot of different symbolism and Revelation confuses us. I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version of Revelation. God wins. Amen. Satan loses. And it's not even close. If we get our priorities right, God is with us. When the people obeyed, they built the temple. God says, I am with you. Who cares what Persia's going to do? Who cares what Rome's going to do? Who cares what the government authorities are going to do? If we are putting God first, God is with us. And then just an observation. And, and, and let me say this before I, I leave this. Not only is God with us, when we are where God wants us to be and our priorities are right and we're obeying and we're doing what it is God wants us to do, now God can bless us. We want to know why God isn't blessing? Sometimes it's because we're out of his will. Now being in God's will does not automatically mean hardship won't come our way, because it might. But one of the reasons why we don't see blessing from God individually, as a church, as a country, as a nation, as a world, is because we're out of whack with God. Our priorities are in the wrong place. When we get our priorities right, when I get my priorities right, God's going to bless me. When you get your priorities right, God's going to bless you. When Fairview gets its priorities right, God's going to bless it. When Tennessee, when the United States, when the world gets their priorities right, God's going to bless them. He can't bless us if our priorities are not with him. Do we get that? 
I must be hard-headed because it's hard for me sometimes to... I, that makes sense to me, in a, but my lifestyle shows something different. Let's get right. And then a quick observation in verse 14, and I'm going to quit. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, of God. Leadership isn't excluded in all of this. I love the phrase, stirred up the spirit. Haggai gave the message. The word of the Lord fell on the good hearts of the leadership. God stirred the leaders and said, man, let's get busy. Let's get going. Let's get working. And the people saw the leaders going. God stirred up their hearts and said, man, let's all get going. And the temple got rebuilt. People pretty much follow their leaders. And I pray every day, and you all pray for me, and pray for our church leaders here, that God would give us vision and that God would stir our spirit to be about his kingdom work. So as we wrap this up this, this morning, the overall big idea is consider your ways. We all raised our hands. See, I led you into a trap earlier, but I said, how many of us think you ought to put God first? We all raised our hands. My question is, when you consider your ways, is your lifestyle showing that? Is where you spend your time, is it showing that? Is it where you spend your money? Does God have priority? What does God want to do through you? God wants to work through you. Remember we learned that in our experience in God class? Everybody says, I want to do this great big thing for God. I can't do anything for God, but I tell you what. God can do whatever God wants to do through me. Amen? Jesus, his Holy Spirit can do what he wants to do. through. What does God want to do through you? And then finally, what is God doing in your life in order to get your attention? And how much more is he going to have to do before we pay attention? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for this message that you've recorded so many years ago from Haggai. And Father, as I delve into your word, it amazes me that even though this was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born, it sounds just like it was written today in 2021. I pray that you would help us all, me and, and everyone that's listening this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit would set on our heart, and I pray that your word would find root, that we would consider our ways, that we would match our lifestyle to what we believe that we ought to put you first. I pray your Holy Spirit would examine our lives, examine our hearts, reveal to us those areas, areas in our life that need to be adjusted to bring us into your will, Father. And I, I pray that you would give us the courage and the wisdom to act on that uh, knowledge. And I pray, Father, that for all of us here, when we leave this building today, you could say, I am with you. 
I pray for a stirring of my spirit, Father, your spirit in me. I pray for a stirring in your spirit in everyone that's here today. Because, Father, even a small group like ours here at Old New Hope, if we are stirred by your spirit and are working through your spirit, if you are with us, we can accomplish all that you intend for us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.